Please uh, take your Bibles this morning and turn with me in the New Testament to the uh, first letter of the Apostle Peter. Uh, we'll be reading from 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, we're going to begin this morning a, a series of uh, sermons in this letter as we work through this first letter, the Apostle uh, Peter, and uh, we look forward to what the Lord has in store for us. Uh, this morning we're going to read the first 12 verses, but we're really just going to focus on those first uh, two verses uh, of the opening of this letter so that we can get a good uh, understanding, a good idea of what this letter uh, is really going to be all about. And uh, so we look forward to uh, hearing from Peter in the weeks to come. So reading then from the Word of God, 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, the first 12 uh, verses. Uh, this is the inerrant and the infallible Word of God. It does not err and is not able uh, to err because it is His breathed out Word. So 1 Peter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold than per that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that what angels long to look into, what angels uh, cannot understand, is what has been revealed to us in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that as we begin this uh, study of the book of First Peter, Lord, that you would help us, you would lead us, you would surround us, you would teach us, instruct us, draw near to us, Lord, as we draw near to you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. Well, how do you identify? How do you identify? That is one of the most popular questions in our culture today. How do you identify yourself? Who are you? Uh, Now, of course, there's lots of ways that in the past uh, we identify ourselves. Sometimes we identify ourselves by our work. And so we would ask someone, what do you do? Uh, Sometimes we identify ourselves by our family connections. And so we might say to somebody, who do you know? Um, uh, Or uh, we might identify ourselves by our physical condition, and we might ask somebody, how do you feel? Um, We might identify ourselves by our place of origin, and we might say to someone, where are you from? Uh, There's lots of different ways uh, we identify ourselves. In today's world, identifying yourself, having an identity, is a big deal. And uh, folks are asked, how would you like to identify What is your preferred pronoun? Someone might be asked. Uh, How would you like the world to think of you? That's a good question to ask a Christian. How would you like the world to think of you? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, modern-day Turkey. Uh, We're familiar with this kind of beginning to a letter. It's a very similar greeting, common greeting, often in the Scripture and elsewhere. And uh, we're familiar with it because the Apostle Paul often begins his letters this way. He would give his name, and then immediately after, he would give his credentials for being able to address the church. Uh, He was an apostle, and that's why he had the authority from Christ to send them uh, an authoritative letter. And more often than not, uh, Paul, when he is uh, giving those greetings, he always uh, announces himself in some way or another uh, related to his his relationship to Christ. And so, for instance, Romans 1, it is Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. That's who I am. In 1 Corinthians, it's Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Galatians, it's Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. In 1 Timothy, it's Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Are you getting the idea there? Uh, When the apostle Paul would write... A letter, uh, he would not begin his letter, uh, he would not identify himself without somehow referring to his relationship to Jesus Christ. Paul knew who he was in Christ. But now here we have Peter. Peter. You remember Peter. He had, uh, he had suggested to Jesus at one time in Jesus' ministry that the cross was... It's a bad idea. Don't go there. Peter was the one who jumped out of the boat to come to Jesus on the water. Ah, and then started to sink. Uh, Peter was the one who denied the Lord three times. Uh, He had experienced the fear 
of possible persecution and the, the later shame of denying that he knew the Savior. This is the fellow here. He no doubt uh, agonized over that denial for a long time. But you remember after Jesus' resurrection, there's this wonderful scene at the end of the Gospel of John in John 21, where Jesus is having breakfast, prepares breakfast for his disciples. And then three times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter answers, uh, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus restores him to service, commissions him, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. This Peter. So in his own life, this Peter, who is writing this letter, had experienced failure when faced with trials of many kinds. He faced the disparaging looks of the world, and he knew doubt and failure, and he knew compromise. But he also had experience of great forgiveness and restoration and the hope of the resurrected Savior, and he was called to service. This Peter. So it's this Peter then, who with the experience of God's grace in his own life and restoration and forgiveness in his own life, he can proclaim at the beginning of this letter, as Paul did before him, I am Peter. Now, remember, Peter's the name that Jesus gave him. His name was Simon. But when he met Jesus, uh, you are Cephas, you know, Aramaic, Greek, Peter, rock. Uh, it was the name Jesus had given him. I am Peter, an apostle, that is, a sent one of Jesus Christ. I've been set apart by Christ himself to proclaim to you the hope that we have in the Redeemer. I've been, Peter could say, I've been in the slew of despond, as John Bunyan put it in the Pilgrim's Progress. I've been in the deepest valleys, but I've also sat down with the Savior over a meal and been strengthened by his words of love and his words of grace and his words of hope and his call to service. Peter, that's who I am, an apostle, not a man, by the will of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Or as he puts it uh, in the opening of his second letter, Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, why is this important? Because the apostle Peter knew who he was in Christ, and he wanted other Christians to know who they were, to understand their identity as followers of Jesus Christ. Peter, Paul, they knew who they were. They identified themselves with their relationship to Jesus, servant, apostle. And Peter wants the church to know who they are. It's very important, friends, for you and I as professing Christians to have a clear understanding of who we are in relation to the world around us. Uh, what are we to think about the challenges and difficulties and hostilities we face being a Christian in the United States of 2022? How are we supposed to think about that? When more and more uh, believers are coming to understand that Jesus wasn't joking or just speaking about Christians in China or North Korea, when he said, uh, if any would come after me, he must take up his cross daily and deny himself and follow me. That wasn't just for Christians in China and North Korea and more and more in our own country. We're slowly coming to realize that. Or Jesus who said, any one who seeks to be godly or to be walking in the paths of the Lord will be persecuted. This letter is full of encouragement to strengthen us to be faithful in this 
generation. Now, Christians, of course, have always had a love-hate relationship to the world or to the culture, to the society. We can probably sum it up with, I think, I, I think there's four kind of main ways that Christians have thought about their relationship to the world. The first would be, uh, we could say, the world deniers. Uh, they are the folks who believe that we should flee uh, ha- any contact with the world or the culture around us and hunker down uh, behind a barricade and create uh, a subculture completely separate from the world, the world deniers. We also have had in the history of the church uh, world fighters. That is that uh, these Christians always see themselves in battle mode uh, looking for a fight and uh, they are constantly fighting against the culture and against the world. There have been world affirmers, that is, the church needs to adopt the patterns of the culture and the world around them if she would be relevant for today. We need to, you know, if the church, if the world is doing this, we need to do that here. If we are going to be relevant Christians in the United States in 2022, that is, we need to accommodate the church and the Christian to the culture. And then, of course, there have been world changers uh, in the history of the church. That is, that the church needs to be salt and light and work and pray for transformation. That is, that sinners uh, would be converted to Christ, live for Christ, and that it would change the culture around us. Well, what's the proper view? Well, of course, the best way uh, to know the proper view, of course, is to go to the words of Jesus. Jesus, who, when he prayed in his high priestly prayer, said this in John 17, 14, speaking of his people to the Father. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask you, Father, that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Sanctified, kept from evil, into the world to bring the gospel. So clearly Jesus' view of a Christian's thought about the world around us, culture around us, is that we are to be in because we have to be salt and light, but not of. In, but not of. After all, it was Jesus who said, go, make disciples of all the nations. You get in there with the gospel and make a difference uh, for, for Christ. Well, how does Peter help us and help a Christian in understanding our identity in the world. Well, right at the beginning of the letter, the apostle touches on a theme that carries through uh, the entire scripture, uh, that in a spiritual sense, uh, the people of God uh, are always strangers, foreigners, and pilgrims. That is, uh, temporarily residents in a sinful world. We are always in, but not of. This is what Peter says, 1 Peter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect, exiles of the dispersion all over Turkey in this 
particular letter. Exiles of the dispersion, or strangers scattered about, is how it could be translated. So he's writing to Christians, and he identifies them this way, as elect exiles, or elect strangers, or elect sojourners in the dispersion. That is, they are cast all around uh, in these in these different places. Um, the Apostle John, you remember, was an exile on the island of Patmos. What did that mean? Well, it meant he was sent there, but it wasn't his home. He didn't say, oh, I love Patmos. I love this place. <clears throat> now he received, you know, a vision of the Lord. He saw the Lord. But he was exiled there. It, he was, it was temporary. He was later, remember, he was later released from that exile. Uh, the Mulker family, uh, here in your midst, are exiles. We're kind of sojourners. We are resident aliens in the United States. Uh, we can apply for citizenship later this year, just in case you're wondering. But, um, but we are really resident aliens. And yes, you say every time he preaches, I'm reminded he's an alien. <laughs> but nonetheless, resident aliens, that is. And, and really that idea of sojourner, pilgrim, uh, has, has really two kind of thoughts to it. One is the idea of time, that it's temporary. It's only for a time. And the other idea is that you actually have citizenship elsewhere. If I showed you my passport, it would show Canada. If uh, Lydia or Caleb showed you their passports, it would say Canada and New Zealand. Our citizenship is elsewhere. And uh, that's the idea here. And it means that as an exile, you have a non-privileged status. There are certain things that only, only citizens of the country enjoy. Here, it would be voting. And, uh, but an exile always is aware of their non-privileged status. Chapter 2, 11 uh, of uh, this book, Peter will say this, Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles... To abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage a war against your soul. And this will come up uh, throughout this letter. Peter identifying these believers as exiles, sojourners, strangers in a foreign land. Now, Peter's writing to Christians, Jew or Gentile, who are consciously aware of the fact that they don't belong to the world they live in. Uh, would be Jews and Gentiles. We find hints of maybe a Gentile uh, congregation uh, that he's speaking to in, uh, uh, in uh, chapter 1, verse 18, where we read these words, knowing that you were ransomed uh, from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. So that's probably a, seems to be kind of a reference maybe from paganism. So he wouldn't be talking there perhaps to Jews, but to Gentiles. Chapter 2, verse 10, very clearly the apostle says this, once you were not a people... But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And that would make most sense to Gentiles, right? Because Jews saw themselves, of course, as God's people. But whatever the case, Jews, Gentiles, uh, he's talking to Christians uh, who are strangers in a foreign land. And they need to know that they belong to God uh, and their identity as a Christian is going to make them stand out in the world. They're living among a foreign people. They were unsettled. And as we read through this book, you're going to, they knew it. They knew it, that they didn't belong there in that situation. They were strangers in a strange land. They were, they were pilgrims, chapter 1, verse 17. 
He writes this, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's needs, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So this is a whole, this is a, a, a lifelong situation. Believers are facing exiles in their land. Their identity was found elsewhere. You ever, you ever uh, had the experience of, um, uh, you know, feeling like you did not belong somewhere? Uh, you know, maybe, maybe as, a man, you as a man, you accidentally whack, walked into a, a women's restroom. Oh, that's awkward. Right? You don't belong there. You get out real quick. Um, or maybe you walk into simply a noisy room. Uh, you join a lively conversation, or you think you're going to join a lively conversation, only to have the conversation go silent when you join in. You're like, oh, I, I thought you were talking here. <laughs> Ever felt like you were in the minority? Ever go on vacation? Uh, only to experience, as soon as you get there, maybe a day or two, the longing to be back home. Christians in America are growing more and more alien to our society. You know, whether it's our belief about abortion, or about marriage, or about men and women created in the image of God, truth, the blessing of children, on and on. It seems, doesn't it? Just a little more and more that we are alien in the country in which we live. Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. Now, not every country, of course, has a strong sense of the importance of citizenship. You know, the idea of belonging to a country uh, we're you know, losing a bit of that today, but the Bible says our citizenship is in heaven. That's where we belong in the new heavens and the new earth. Christ is king. Heaven is our country. And that's why as Christians, when we uh, gather to, to worship, we don't have an American flag, for instance, at the front of the worship space. And why if you went to China to worship with the Lord's people, you would feel kind of strange if there was a gigantic Chinese flag at the front of the sanctuary. Why? Well, we're not here to celebrate being American. We're here to celebrate being Christian. Christ is the hope of the world, not America. So that's why it's important for Peter to help us understand our identity. We are Christian, we belong to God, we belong to Christ, and we are exiles, we are strangers, we are foreigners here, because our citizenship is in, is in heaven. Understanding your exile status is part of what the, the Old Testament saints were commended for. They were commended by God for understanding that this was not their home. This is where we read it, Hebrews 11, uh, verse 13, this is what we read. He's speaking about the Old Testament saints, Abraham. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. And if they'd been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. You just go back to that land. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, the Bible says, a heavenly one. 
Therefore, God's not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared for them a city. They're commended because they lived as exiles here, and they knew their heart was set on a better country, not Canada, not New Zealand, uh, no, no, uh, but a better country, a heavenly one is what the Bible is speaking about here. Um, are you longing for a better country? Do you know you're in exile here? Or do you think that this is all there is? The point here, friends, is that Christians always live with a consciousness of something better. Not in discontentment, but with an eye on what God is doing and will do. We look at ourselves that way. We see God is not finished completing the work in me. I, I'm still a sinner, but he's promised uh, that uh, the work he began in me, he's going to complete it. And so my hope is set on something better. That's how I look at everyone else in the church. That's how you look at everyone else in this church, that we are still all on the way and we still sin against each other and we disappoint each other and we fail each other because we're still sinners. But we see each other with new eyes because we know that the Lord is going to complete that work. And there's a better day coming. We think that way about the church, which also fails. And we fail together. But we know there's a better time coming, you see. As opposed to looking for paradise here, where sin still clings to us. We will never find it and end up frustrated and disappointed and disillusioned. And that's where Peter helps us. Because Peter is going to tell us that you as a Christian here, are going to be spoken evil of. You as a Christian uh, here will not be popular in the culture. And if your desire is to be popular in the culture in America, you will only end up disappointed and frustrated, you see, because this world is not our home. This world of sin is not our home. There is a new heavens and earth coming that will be only righteousness, but that time is not yet. And until then, you live as exiles, Peter says. So that's the first thing. Only two points this morning. We're exiles. And it's only by recognizing that fact that the glorious truth of verse 2 can be clearly understood, which stands in great contrast to the first verse. So whereas these are people who are exiles, they're scattered about, they're strangers, they're pilgrims, they're sojourners, they're foreigners in a strange land to which they do not belong, they must also understand something else. And uh, notice what Peter says. Uh, to those who are elect, uh, according, verse 2, to those who are elect, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Exiles, uh, strangers, but notice the Apostle Peter says, to those who are uh, elect exiles, that is chosen exiles, that is chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. The people to whom Peter addressed this letter were God's elect, that is, God's chosen. That is, they were chosen according, Peter says, to the foreknowledge of God the Father. The word foreknowledge here means intimate knowing of a person. It is a predestinating, it is a foreordaining, it is a, a foreloving. It is not just 
God seeing down the corridor of time and, and knowing you're going to do something. It is a, a foreknowing in the sense of intimately knowing, choosing, adopting, loving, setting apart for himself. And one sure result of being God's chosen or elect, according to the foreknowledge of the Father, one sure result of that is the enmity and the hatred as it's described in the scripture of the world. Jesus said this, John 15. This is Jesus. If the world hates you, know, know, says Jesus, know that it has hated me, Jesus. Imagine that, hating Jesus. Know that it has hated me before it hated you. And this is what he says. If you were of the world, that is, if you belong to the world, the world would love you as its own. So yeah, come on in. But, says Jesus, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. See what Jesus is saying there? saying, listen, you don't belong to the world as a Christian. You belong to me. In fact, isn't that what the Apostle Paul said to the uh, elders in Ephesus in Acts 20? uh, That, uh, you know, the church has been bought with the blood of God, with the blood of Christ. You've been bought. You've been purchased. The Christian's identity is, I don't belong to the world. I belong to Jesus. That's who I am. I belong to him. So here's the picture. Strangers and scattered and exiles in the world, but chosen and gathered and loved by God. This is how Peter addresses the church. Pilgrims who are in the world, but not not of the world. That changes everything, you see. Imagine if you were going to adopt a child from China and, uh, and you get all the paperwork done and then... Uh, all the paperwork's done, you go over to China, but Ch- the Chinese government says, okay, well, you need to, before you can take this, this child home, uh, you need to wait here a month. But all the paperwork is done, uh, child belongs to you, uh, this is now your child, uh, you have adopted this child, but you've got a month, you have to stay in China. And then you can go home. So they have to wait, but while that child, let's say that child is a teenager, 12 or 13 years old, living in that orphanage for a month in China, uh, even though they're still in that orphanage, everything has changed because they now know uh, that they have a home. They now know that someone loves them and has chosen them, who has adopted them, and one day they're going home. Everything changes, even in that orphanage. You see, to be chosen out from among men, so as to be precious unto God, means, says Peter, that we must expect to be partakers of the cross, for the servant is not greater than his Lord. See what Jesus was saying there in John? Listen, they hated me. And so if you belong to me, and you identify as belonging to me, as Peter will say, don't ever think it's strange. If they hate you too, or if they persecute you, if uh, they fire you, if they don't give you the raise, 
uh, if they make life difficult at work. Don't ever, says Peter, be surprised by that. You belong to Jesus, and you do not belong to the world. You're not a stranger to God, but you are a stranger on earth. Now, how does, how does Peter encourage these folks, though? What's the, what's the big encouragement? Well, listen again to the words of verse 2. It's full, so take it slowly. We'll look through it together because it's full of riches for us today. How might we be encouraged? Well, this is what he says. Elect, uh, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. That's who you are, chosen of God the Father, in the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit for obedience to Christ. As somebody once said, this opening part of the letter kind of describes the the origin, uh, the nature, and the purpose of the Christian life and of the church. Chosen uh, by the, the grace of God, the love of God, in the work of the Holy Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, sprinkling with his blood. That is, we belong to God. We belong to him. That's how we will be encouraged uh, in understanding our identity as Christian believers in the world today. So what, you know, what's the solution for people like us who do get stuck sometimes and discouraged and depressed and burdened and beaten up and walked over and persecuted in this world we live in? Right? Where are we going to turn to? Uh, The Apostle Peter says, uh, you need to get your eyes uh, off the world around you you need to look uh, to the, uh, the triune God, and that's where we have to start. Uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, chosen by God, God's love and mercy and grace poured out upon you, uh, the Bible says elsewhere in Ephesians, before the foundation of the world, chosen in Christ. Someone once said, you know, what's the best uh, proof that God will never stop loving you. Well, the best proof that God will never stop loving you is that he never began. The Bible says, before the foundation of the world, (laughs) you were chosen in Christ. You notice how the apostle prays in this verse. Often, if not always, the New Testament letters begin with a prayer for blessing. The most often recurring form of it from the Apostle Paul is this, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's grace, mercy, and peace. It's a prayer for blessing. But it's interesting to me that it's only here in Peter, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and in Jude that we find this little phrase, be multiplied. It could also be translated as, may grace and peace be yours in abundance. Why is that important? Because if you read through the letters of 1 and 2 Peter and through the book of Jude, what is happening? Well, the church is being persecuted and facing great trial. And Peter's prayer is this at the beginning of this letter. May God's grace and peace be multiplied to you. May it be increased. May it be abundant. In other words, may it grow more and more. Now, the children here hopefully know uh, what it means to multiply something, right? You get a whole lot 
more of it. You multiply 4 and 4, you get 16. You multiply 10 by 10, you get 100. Uh, You don't get 10. Peter's prayer is that the Christian's experience of grace and peace, that is God's riches for us at Christ's expense, peace of being reconciled to God, God reconciled to us, sin is dealt with, grace and peace, that that would be multiplied. Now, if I said to you, uh, would you like your bank account to be emptied, stay the same, added to, or multiplied? You, You get the idea here. Abounding. Abundant. Now, obviously, that means we need to understand, friends, that grace and peace are not static things. At the outset of this letter, the expectation of the apostle is this, that a Christian believer who is united to Jesus Christ uh, will grow in grace, will grow in understanding of God's grace to us, chosen when we were dead in sin, and that we will grow in, in peace That is, that it would grow, multiply, increase, abound, uh, that it's not something we had deposited in us years and years ago simply, but that it is something that we are called to grow in day by day, meditating on the grace of God in Christ, meditating on the peace that is ours through faith in Christ. How is it going to grow? Well, Peter's going to help us along the way, but it has to start right here by remembering, first of all, who you and I are. What is your identity? Do you belong to the world? Or do you belong to Jesus Christ? And if you belong uh, to Jesus Christ, then know this, says Peter. uh, You uh, were elect according to the foreknowledge of God in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Christ and the sprinkling with His blood. That is... You've been chosen by God in this world in which you are a stranger in order to demonstrate to to everyone around you that God has his hands on you. He's got his fingerprints all over you. He's working in you by his Holy Spirit. And the fruit of that is that you are living for the glory of Jesus. And when you think about your relationship to the world, This, says Peter, is the identity that's going to hold you close to him. You see, you don't belong to the world. You belong to him. And you are here in this world of sin temporarily because there is a new heavens and a new earth coming, right? And all that's sinful, all that's dishonoring to God, just like at the flood, Peter says in a later chapter, will be washed clean, will be purged, it'll all be gone. But there'll be a new heavens and earth in which only righteousness dwells. And so if that's true, we don't live for this world. We live knowing another is yet to come. And as we do that, the world will see that we do not belong to ourselves, but that we belong to our faithful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you identify this morning? May it be Uh, as a Christian. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this letter. We thank you, Lord, that there is encouragement for a pilgrim people. We are sojourners. We are exiles here. We are here temporarily in this world of sin. We know that there is a, a new kingdom coming in its fullness. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to have our minds set 
uh, on eternal things, on heavenly things, those things that will endure, that we would not be putting our hope in the world of passing things, the world around us. But Lord, that we would know that we have been chosen by your grace through the work of the Holy Spirit for obedience to Jesus, through whose blood we have been sprinkled. We belong to him. We are his people and he is ours. Help us, Lord, then today and every day to go through our life knowing who we are in Jesus Christ. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.